Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson. This week, exploding medical myths. For example, the way most people approach taking vitamins. Just because a little bit of something can be good, can be very good, life-saving even, doesn't mean that more is going to be better. Itching, sleeping, vitamins, and other misconstrued body basics when Radio Health Journal returns. As we age, changes in vision can be much more serious than a need for stronger glasses. Without treatment, diseases like cataracts, glaucoma, or age-related macular degeneration can lead to blindness. But many seniors haven't had an eye exam in some time. Ophthalmologist Dr. John Burdall says Eye Care America can help. The American Academy of Ophthalmology's Eye Care America program is designed for medically underserved seniors who haven't been to an ophthalmologist in three or more years. Eligible patients are matched with a nearby volunteer ophthalmologist for a comprehensive medical eye exam and up to one year of care for any disease diagnosed during the initial visit, often at no cost. Launched in 1985, Eye Care America is one of the largest public service programs in American medicine. Find out if you, your friends, or family members are eligible. Visit aao.org slash eyecareamerica. That's aao.org slash eyecareamerica. A lot of people have questions about their bodies that they never bring up to their doctors. They just seem too silly. Things like, can I lose a contact lens behind my eye? Why do people have dimples? And one of Dr. James Hamblin's favorites, why do people experience itching? I wanted to start with some of these seemingly trivial questions. And the point of the answer is to show that something that seems like it should have an easy explanation just doesn't. We don't understand it. And historically, it has often been chalked up to mental illness in a lot of people who keep coming back to their doctor saying they're itching, they're itching, and the doctor can't find anything quote-unquote wrong with the person, can't diagnose any particular condition. Hamblin is a senior editor at The Atlantic magazine and author of If Our Bodies Could Talk, a guide to operating and maintaining a human body. Just in recent years, we've seen a springing up of different academic centers, which are meant to be referral centers for people just suffering from itch of an unknown cause. And it's a great example of medicine being organized around what we used to think of as a symptom, but the main complaint of a person and trying to solve it that way. Uh, So bringing together neurologists, dermatologists, sometimes psychiatrists, people who study human physiology at a biochemical level, and trying to figure out this problem as opposed to taking a patient and having them jump around from, you know, go see the neurologist and go see the dermatologist, and no one is really tackling the problem itself. Hamlin says that problems like itching often get dismissed by doctors and loved ones, but if an itch is driving you crazy, it's serious to you. Maybe more serious than anybody thinks. There's a story of someone who had chronic itch for a long time. No one could figure it out. Ended up coming to one of these itch centers and had a tumor that was causing this imbalance. That was causing them to chronically itch. It was actually this sort of cultural bias toward itch as a non-serious thing that everyone experiences. And that was what the experts I spoke to said you know, might have caused people to overlook it and not take it seriously. And I don't want listeners to think that just because they're itching, that means they might have cancer. It doesn't, but it's a reminder that for a lot of people, it's a serious thing. Hamlin says sleep is another issue that people don't take seriously. Young doctors, for example, are forced to discount sleep during their residencies, working shifts that are 28 hours straight. 
You'd think they'd admit that they're impaired by the end of those long days. But Hamlin says denial is common. We all do it. We may be walking around like zombies, but we think we're just fine. It's sort of a blindness to our own impairment. And for me, it took extreme sleep deprivation, which I went through in medical training and all doctors do go through. After you've stayed awake for a 30-hour shift, you know, you've experienced some really eerie forgetfulness, some swings of mood and some possible bouts of feeling giddy or even delirious. And then you can really feel those effects. And when they're subtler, when you have gone consistently with only five or six hours of sleep and you should have been getting seven, a lot of people say, oh, maybe I'm a little tired, but I'm functioning fine. When in fact, they're forgetful, their reaction times are impaired. And <laughs> we may be so used to not getting enough sleep that we don't even feel impaired at all. However, you may be surprised to learn how long some people have gone completely without sleep. Hamblin says the record, as far as he knows, is 11 days. There were Stanford researchers overseeing this, what would not now be considered a safe experiment, but was at the time fully approvable. A teenager uh, stayed awake that long, and it raises the idea that while seven hours tends to be the point around which we cluster where most people need right around seven hours, you do have this sort of bell curve and outliers who seem to be able to function just fine on much less sleep. But that doesn't mean that we should treat going without sleep as some feat of strength or accomplishment, which our society tends to do. You'd think anyone staying awake for a week and a half would suffer some pretty serious consequences. But Hamlin says this particular teenager was one of those mysterious outliers. According to reports at the time, this was in the 1960s, he had some mild impairments at certain points, but was generally fully conversant, beat one of the researchers playing pinball on something like the seventh or eighth night, so didn't at all seem like someone who was the walking dead, and then ended up sleeping, he said, for, I believe, 14 hours, and then got up and was fine. But isn't that the kind of stress on the body that makes people sick later? People are more likely to come down with a cold or the flu after a few sleepless nights. So many of them take megadoses of vitamin C or folk remedy immune boosters to try to stay well. But Hamlin says the effectiveness of most of those supplements is a myth. There are a lot of products out there, most of them in the dietary supplement realm, that claim to, yes, broadly boost the immune system. And while it may be possible to protect yourself from certain diseases like the flu by not shaking hands with someone who's contagious and by not having any particular immune deficiency like HIV, these products notoriously don't help with those things and potentially could hurt in that if you feel emboldened by the fact that you took a bunch of vitamin C and then you don't take the basic precautions of washing your hands and covering your mouth when you cough and getting enough sleep and eating well and all the things that generally improve our immune systems, then you can actually end up worse off. That's one of the points Hamblin makes repeatedly. While we can laugh at questions like, why do people have dimples? His book isn't the literary equivalent of cat videos. Some of the answers are complicated, and a few can have serious consequences. Just because a little bit of something can be good, can be very good, life-saving even, doesn't mean that more is going to be better. Vitamin A, along with the other fat-soluble vitamins, is one that you can get too much of. So 
it's a quest to resist this tendency to think I need to totally avoid something or I need to get as much of it as I can, when in most cases, we just need to live in that middle ground. You can find out more about all of our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Nancy Benson. Medical Notes this week. We reported last week on the opioid epidemic. Now a new study finds yet another symptom of opioid addiction, amnesia. The CDC's Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report describes a group of 14 patients, almost all opioid addicts, who couldn't remember things they'd just been told. Along with short-term memory loss, the patients had abnormal MRI scans as well. Doctors are concerned the patients represent a new condition triggered by substance abuse that they were not previously aware of. Researchers say most of the patients recovered their normal memory after several months substance-free. Sitting in traffic is a sure way to increase your stress level, and a new study shows it also increases domestic violence. A study at Louisiana State University correlated 25 million traffic observations and 2 million police reports over four years and found that extreme traffic jams increase the likelihood of domestic violence when people get home by about 6%. People who have suffered concussions are held out of sports and school until they're considered recovered, but a new study shows that even then, they may have trouble driving. The study in the Journal of Neurotrauma tested the driving skills of 14 people who'd had a concussion but felt that they were now over it. Researchers say that at times they drove as if they were drunk. And finally, parents who use threats and raised voices to get their kids to behave often end up doing the opposite. A study in the journal Child Development shows that kids parented harshly as tweens are more likely to drop out of school, engage in early sex, and commit theft a few years later. Researchers say those kids reject their domineering parents and seek approval from their peers instead. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.